want to share with you guys this morning um, a, a little story that actually I, about a king that I didn't really know existed until a couple of weeks ago. And I wonder if anyone else, um, anyone else has. Has anyone heard of King Uzziah? Just a few people? I'm like, yeah, no, me neither. Um, so he's in the book of Chronicles. And Chronicles is the book that's kind of written as a, a bit of a summary for the history of Israel. And um, in it, there's a, a bunch of... Cha- oh, how far forward can I go? Well, let's wake everyone up with some horrific noise. You guys down the back, you'll just have to text me to be like, whoa, whoa, stop. <laughs> um, so it's, there's these kind of character studies of the kings of, some of the kings of Israel. And why they were written was for Israel to look back and be able to look at their lives. And as they were looking towards this future promised kingdom that God was going to usher in, that God was going to bring in in the form of Jesus, right? But he wanted them to look at these kings and go, to be able to learn from them and to learn things about them and be reminded of them. And so in chapter 26, we find the story of King Uzziah. Now, it's a little bit longer than what I would normally read, um, but bear with, right? So, chapter 26, verse 1. Then all the people of Judah took King Uzziah, who was 16 years old. Have we got anyone in the room who's 16? Any 16-year-olds? Hey, look, hey. So it'd be like us going, it's yours. Like, you're it, okay? Um was 16 years old and made him king in place of his father, Amaziah. He was the one who rebuilt Elath and restored it to Judah after Amaziah rested with his ancestors. Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem 52 years. His mother's name was Jecholai and she was from Jerusalem. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord just as his father Amaziah had done. He sought God during the days of Zechariah who instructed him in the fear of God As long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. He went to war against the Philistines and broke down the walls of Gath, Jebna, and Ashdod. He then rebuilt towns near Ashdod and elsewhere among the Philistines. God helped him against the Philistines and against the Arabs who lived in Gerbal and against the Mennonites. The Ammonites brought tribute to Isaiah and his fame spread as far as the border of Egypt because he became very powerful. Tim, can we grab the um, time on the back, please? Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem at the corner gate, at the valley gate, and at the angle of the wall, and he fortified them. He also built towers in the wilderness and dug many cisterns, and because he had much livestock at the foothills and in the plain. He had people working his fields and vineyards in the hills and in the fertile lands, for he loved the soils. Do I have any um, Lincoln agriculture students who were like, yeah, whoop, whoop, those soils test, yep, he's your king. Uzziah had a well-trained army ready to go out by divisions according to their numbers as he mustered by Jael, the secretary, and Manasseh, the officer under the direction of Hananiah, one of the royal officials. The total number of family leaders over the fighting men was 2,600. Under his command was an army of 307,500 men, trained for war, a powerful force to support the king against his enemies. Uzziah provided shields, spears, helmets, coats of arms, bows, and slingshots for the entire army. In Jerusalem, he made devices invented for those on the towers and on the corner defenses so that soldiers could shoot arrows and hurl large stones from the wall. His fame spread far and wide, for he was greatly helped 
until he became powerful. So he's doing all right, okay? Who would think that's a pretty good rap sheet? If you're looking at, like, this is your, your kingship, this is your legacy, this is what you're looking at, like, he was doing pretty well. But then we get to verse 16. But after Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. He was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Azariah the priest with 80 other courageous priests of the Lord followed him in. They confronted King Uzziah and said, It is not right for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord. That is for the priests, the descendants of Aaron, who have been consecrated to burn incense. Leave the sanctuary, for you have been unfaithful, and you will not be honored by the Lord God. Uzziah, who had a censer, which is kind of like the thing that they would put, throw on top of it, in his hand, ready to burn incense, became angry. While he was raging at the priests in the presence before the incense altar of the Lord's temple, leprosy broke out on his forehead. When Azariah, the chief priest, and all the other priests looked at him, they saw that he had leprosy on his forehead, so they hurried him out. Indeed, he himself was eager to leave because the Lord had afflicted him. King Uzziah had leprosy until the day he died. He lived in a separate house, leprous and banned from the temple of the Lord. Jotham, his son, had charge of the palace and governed the people of the land. The other events of Uzziah's reign from beginning to end are recorded by the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos. Uzziah rested with his ancestors and was buried near them in a cemetery that belonged to the kings, for people said he had leprosy, and Jotham, his son, succeeded him as king. See, he was an incredibly successful king, right? He hadn't fallen morally like so many of the others had. But then there's this comes this point where he enters into the space, the sacred space of the presence of God. See, we see in this time that God's spirit wasn't freely poured out. It was on specific people from time to time, but mostly it was in a central holy place among the people. The priests were the ones set apart to go in there and would go through processes given by God to be able to enter into the place. And it was treated as a special and significant place to be. And so within King Uzziah, there is a sense of treating the place where the presence of God is with contempt. Josephus, another historical writer at the time, records that when he entered into the place of worship, there was, and this confrontation was taking place, there was actually an earthquake, and part of the ceiling opened, and it was a ray of sunlight that came in, and as it touched him, that's when the leprosy came on his head. In that moment, he knew that he'd messed up. Now, I think it's important that we remind ourselves that God's heart is never to exclude people from his presence. We see times when God pours out his spirit on people, supernaturally heals them of leprosy, and is working out this incredible, redemptive, and restorative plan in people and nations at the same time as all of this is taking place. But this story was recorded to remind the Israelites moving forward that the presence of God is significant, powerful, and shouldn't be taken for granted. Now, all of this makes me incredibly thankful for Jesus. Do I have anyone else in the room, right? Because of Jesus, 
we can now freely enter into the presence of God. Jesus is the priest that has created the way for us to do that. We read in Hebrews 14, verse 14, 4 verse 14, Therefore, since you have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. What a great promise. When Jesus was at the cross, there was a supernatural shaking of the earth, a huge earthquake. And the huge cloth that had separated the holy of holies, the place where the presence of God rested in amongst the people, was torn apart from the top to the bottom. As the signal that no earthly person could do that, could just rip this thing apart in a moment. But it was the hand of God himself that said, no longer do I have to hold myself back from my people. And then at Pentecost, we see afterwards that God's Spirit is then poured out on all of these people and all of these different languages from these different places with these different life experiences. No longer is God's presence only able to be contained by a few, but is poured out for everyone to have access to it. And I think that what has unsettled me a little in the last few weeks when I think about King Uzziah is that sometimes I can be a little like him. I can take for granted the sacred space of the presence of God. What existed in the holy of holies, the inner space where God meets with people, I now freely have access to. And I can take for granted and underplay what he now places within me as a child of God through Jesus. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. See, we can move from venue to venue. Good job on making it here and... um, Thank you to those that are here for the first time and um, bear with us. But um, it is, we can move from venue to venue. We can gather here. We can gather at the event center. We can gather in cafes. We can meet together on our lunch breaks at work, in our homes. We can meet in parks and paddocks or mountaintops or valleys, wherever. And God can meet with us in those places. And he also places the same spirit that resurrected Jesus now within us, to be with us, close to us, closer than any other will ever be, all of the time. The last few weeks in the messages from both Ange and um, David Peters were prepared completely separately. And unbeknownst to the other, they had felt an incredible sense of urgency and this call that it was time for us as a church to wake up again. If you missed the last couple of weeks, I encourage you to go online to the website and have a listen to them. I think it's a good reminder that one, I can freely seek and enter into that sacred space with God. And two, I, we, us can now carry that. We can hold it within us and be the vessel. 
I think sometimes, like Uzziah, I've taken what the presence of God is and my access to it for granted. God has always been looking for open and willing people to work through. He adds blessings to our natural abilities. He can move miraculously and work outside of our natural or scientific understanding to calm seas, part oceans, open blind eyes, raise children from the dead, provide unexpectedly and extravagantly, all through really normal, often really flawed people. Right? Isn't that the story of so much of the, the New Testament, even so much of the Old Testament, God working through these people? And in this time and in this season, he chooses now to extend his hand to us. This week we've been doing a course as a staff and looking again at God's heart for all people. His heart is for everyone to have the opportunity to know him. And there are still so many people that don't. Do you know that in Thailand, there are still 40 million people who in their lifetime will never get the opportunity to hear about Jesus? They have no access to a church. They will probably never meet a Christian. Isn't, isn't that crazy? 40 million people today will probably live their lifetime never hearing about Jesus. Um, I've just got a photo. To, um, about two years ago, I met um, this man. Um, it was in a, a province in, in northern Thailand. And um, this particular day... Uh, he was sowing his rice paddy fields. And I was there visiting with a friend, Nook, and um, it was a humbling experience because I did not have clothes to be sowing, um, sowing rice in rice paddy fields. And so they had to put word out in the village and try and find track pants that were, like, big enough. So I don't even know whose clothes I'm in there. But I had borrowed some. But um, this man, he lives in the middle of northern Thailand. And... Um, he is the one that the Buddhist monks will come to because he gives advice on the spirit realm. He will share with them um, what they need to do to get healing and to um, see breakthrough and different things. So the, he's the one that they come to to get advice and wisdom from. And Nock, um, if we jump to one of the other photos with all of us, um, so there's his rice paddy field. But Nock, if you see the one standing next to him, she had a heart for this village, her and her husband. Um, you know, their heart is for these 40 million peat ties that are never going to be able to hear the gospel. And so um, she went with him and she started journeying and um, building relationship with the people in this village. And he had, just before we'd been there, he'd been climbing a banana tree and he'd had an injury where he'd got like a stick or something to the eye from it. And it was amazing because he can see healing in so many other people's lives. But in this one time, he wasn't able to get healing for himself. And so Nock had prayed for his eye, and miraculously God had brought healing to him. And he was on a journey to learn more about Jesus. He was learning about faith, and actually it was the whole village that was on this journey. And I was incredibly touched and challenged by the experience and going like, you know, this was so amazing what God was doing in this man's life. And, you know, it's so incredible what he's doing in this village. And, you know, it's so amazing and it's so important. And recently as I've been thinking about that again and it's been weighing on my heart, but the part that really struck me was that I have a neighbor who is a similar age to that man. 
both are really important. And it, sometimes it feels like we can be, you know, more effective over in these spaces and seeing these things over in Thailand. And, you know, it's incredible when we hear these things happening globally. But there's also got to be a burden on my heart for my neighbor next door as well who doesn't know Jesus either. In the lead up to this course that we've been doing, I've been reading a lot about significant missional movements or revivals. As we were singing about before and, and studying them and seeing what was happening in the midst of them, times when God has been able to move in a way where many people have been able to come to him. And there has been incredible transformation in people's lives. Like whole communities, whole cities, whole nations changed because of what God is doing and the way that he is moving. It's so incredible to read. And I've got start stirring something to go, God, would you do something like that in our land? And so many of them have been birthed out of a place of prayer and in time in God's presence. That's where it started and the ripple effect from there. Because what happens in the presence of God? There's refreshing when we're tired and weary. There is healing. There's a refocusing. There's a sense of calling to the people. There's joy. There is a rest. There is an equipping for the time and the season ahead. See, most people won't hear the gospel, the good news of Jesus from a missionary as we perceive it. They are more and most likely to respond when they hear it from someone close to them. The people in your world are looking for the hope that you have. We get to be the vessels that carry the hope of Jesus. So often I think, and I think we see time and time again, that God just needs a willing heart to say, yes, Lord, and continue to seek him in that sacred and holy space that we now have access to freely. Because when we enter into that place, we also get a greater burden to pray for those around us, to see breakthrough on that spiritual level in their worlds. We get courage and wisdom to be a little bolder when there is opportunity and room and space. We also get renewed and refreshed with a patience and a grace to keep loving unconditionally time and time again the people in our world. My team, would you like to come back? So let's not take for granted but honour his presence, a holy space that he invites us into. But also a place that he trusts to place within each of us. And out of the overflow of what he is doing in us, our hope and our prayer is that others might have the same opportunity that we've had. Would you stand with me?
we're just going to sing this song, Touch of Heaven. And I guess my prayer would be in this moment that we're just kind of still all the other thoughts of stuff that's been going on in our week and things that are to come. And just in this moment, God, God, we want to touch heaven. God, we want to be filled to overflowing. We have access to that which so many generations longed for. Let's not take that for granted. But let's step into it and enjoy it and honor it and go, God, in this space. Lord, do in me what you need to do. Do the deep work. Mess up the things that you need to mess up to get hold of my heart again. God, who are the people around my world that I can be a vessel to carry hope to? Who in my world can I be praying for? Who in my world can I be loving and serving? Because he wants to use all of us. He is willing and he is able. I think sometimes he's just looking for a yes and amen in our hearts, right? Father, we just come before you, Lord. Lord, not wanting to take your presence for granted. But Father, seeking to freely enter in. Lord, to catch a glimpse of you. Father, to be filled afresh with your presence. Lord, I pray now for those that are feeling tired and weary. Lord, will you fill them again? Lord, will you touch the deep parts of our lives? Father, and bring healing and restoration to them. Jesus, we just want to say sorry for the times when we've hurt other people, when we've hurt you, when we've hurt ourselves. Jesus, we say we're sorry. We thank you for the forgiveness that you extend. Lord, we just want to be vessels for your presence. God, we want to be hands and feet for your kingdom. So Lord, this morning we just say yes and amen. Yes and amen to the things that are in your heart, Lord.